gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice, are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. I am Supergirl. I am the Flash. My name is Oliver Queen. I had to become the Green Arrow. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to DC TV Podcast, episode 118. And uh, actually we recorded 118 once already, but due to uh, uh, evil demons in my computer, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it never recorded. Parademons. Yeah, parademons. And then uh, after that, of course, it was Easter week, and uh, I, we, I went on family vacation or whatever. So we're back this week with a full week of DC TV, and plus we're going to catch up on Krypton. Uh, the latest DC TV show, which has actually been a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, yeah, absolutely. But first, let me introduce my uh, my co-host. First of all, she's the leader of her own Legion of Horribles, uh, Jerry Atkinson. Yes, I lead things. You may follow. Um, we should also mention that this was a pretty auspicious week as far as birthdays are concerned. Just yeah, saying. we... We had Daryl, who is probably why he's not on the show right now, is because he's out celebrating his, and then, or either that or he's busy at the murder shed, and then, of course, we have Jerry, who turned out like 26, 27 this week, Sorry, and apparently 25. she just fell over. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I just fell over. 27? What? What are you talking about? 27? Yeah, 25. Come on. Oh, okay. Don't put any extra years on her, Rich. Come on, man. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would I would wish you happy birthday from what but from what I saw on the Facebook and the social media you already had a really great birthday so happy birthday yeah, to you Jerry I, I'm glad you had uh, fun on your 25th I did thank you I appreciate that okay now you can finish introducing all the other all the other secondary <laughs> all the other yeah. secondary and he yeah and he is the yeah. lone survivor. Yeah. Of the House of Weed. Which of the Chub Toad Sheldon. Hey, remember, you gotta give ass to get ass. I'm not even gonna pretend to know what that means, because I don't. <laughs> that was from Black Lightning this week. I know, I know. But, okay. Uh, it was overall a pretty good week for DCTV, but before we get to the... Except dip- for the end of the week. <laughs> right. Well, I think what I'm going to do is, since um, it was so bad and everything, let's get the unpleasantness out of the way, and then let's we can rip just, that bandaid off quickly. Yes, yeah, so get through it as quick as we could, and then we can get into the good stuff. Okay. So we're going to start this week a little unorthodoxly with uh, Arrow. The episode is called "Brothers in Arms." This, uh, this episode had me up in arms with like, what the hell? But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> if, I, if I were Dire Straits, I'd sue these guys for using that name because that was a great, <laughs> great album, but a really shitty episode of Arrow. Tell me, explain to me, please, anyone, if anyone can explain to me in fifty words or less, when did Diggle get so hot on wanting to be Green Arrow? Exactly, and when did Diggle become such a baby? I'm sorry, but Diggle has never acted the way his character acted this season. 
And this was just the culmination, the climactic point of stupidity right here. I think I even tweeted this to quote Negan. If shit took a shit, it wouldn't be as shitty as the writing on this episode or this season of Arrow. Because, oh my god, this has to go through levels of people and approvals, right? They don't just write like on a napkin and say, here's this week's episode, let's record. I don't know. I mean, they're not DC TV podcasts, for crying out loud. They're an actual production. We knew, we use a napkin? Here. Wow. <laughs> Can I see the napkin? Because I, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. Jerry, I assume you have similar uh, thoughts? I was going to really practice my fake vomiting skills for this review, ah. and I realized it, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> This is just a waste of my time to practice my fake vomit skills. So imagine I fake, but you drop drop a vomiting like an exorcist vomiting sound editor just right here just from the carts. We have that kind of technology, right? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll find one for you. No problem. <laughs> okay, uh, so do I'll, the, so I'll, drop it here. <laughs> okay, you got it, girl. I'll, I'll make that happen. To, um, okay, thank you. To paraphrase the the uh, aqua. Teen Hunger Force. It was the lamest thing since lame came to lame town. <laughs> that down. That's pretty lame. Crap tastic. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. This just came out of nowhere for me. Like, I mean, I, I know Diggle had the problem with his arm, right, and then all that shit, and like, but just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Diggle's all pissed off at Oliver because he wants to be Green Arrow. And he, like, hits Oliver all over the place, like, you're a shitty leader, and this and that, and you're leaving a trail of dead bodies, blah, blah, blah. Right, because, you know, Diggle doesn't shoot anybody ever. Ever. You know? And then they fight, and then, like, they they destroy the whole fucking bunker. Oh, sorry. They destroy the whole bunker, and, like, (laughs) over what? (laughs) Over nothing. Over, like, a contrived plot point that came out of nowhere, you know? I will say this, though, is when they started fighting, at least that's the best fight choreography that they've had on the show in a while when Diggle and him started duking it out. Okay. Yeah, but, like, it's it just the whole motivation. No, I get but it. you're fighting yourselves. Like, you're fighting yourselves. Come on. It, it was can't... so bad it made Jim say the F word. Come on. Yeah, I, okay. I, I dropped an F bomb. <laughs> it just seemed like, you know, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, this motivation wasn't there to begin with, and uh, it just, you know, uh, it just it just seems like another diversion from, from like, and, and then we heard this week they got, they all got renewed. I mean, mo- almost all, all the CW shows we cover got renewed for next year, pretty much. But, like, if this is the kind of stuff we expect this season, I don't know if I want another season of Arrow, you know? I mean... Exactly. And then you had the, the subplot with Curtis and his new boyfriend. He's like, I hate vigilantes. I hate vigilantes. And then he finds out Curtis is one. He's like, well, okay, I guess it's all right. I'll stay in it. I'll change my mind, you know. And uh, well, it's just... He uh, needs somebody to braid his hair on the fly. So it's pretty important that he makes this relationship work. Because it is, you know, a new hairdo is, is not making us as up in arms as it usually is. So You know, and he's still... <laughs> He still referred to um, Felicity as his business partner, and I'm just thinking, you guys are running a startup tech kind of deal where you're you're creating all of this. There has to be a level of trust there, and if they, if how I just I can't get how Curtis 
can be so working against Felicity as part of his own team and, and, and all pissy because he had to take his toys and go home. And then, um, but then on the flip side of that, him and Felicity are healthy business partners creating tech and in the tech sector and all this. I, I just, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't buy any of this season. I just, what a terrible season of television. It, and yes. when it, when it got renewed, the only thing I was hoping was, well, you know what? They have a chance. They have a chance to pull a season five because season four was bad. And season five, while not great, at least pulled pulled back on the rudder and got us back flying pretty good. And then Guggenheim got behind there, knocked the pilot out, and just, you know, tied the stick forward because it's crashing and burning. But yet somehow we're getting another season. And then as, uh, as dumb, I don't know. As dumb as the Diggle and Oliver stuff is, and they're getting into some low blows. Like Oliver's like, well, what about your brother and shit? I'm just like, dude, not cool. Not Dang. cool. I know. I mean, that's not cool, man. And then, like, yeah, but that's honestly, if you know somebody for that long, point, that though. well, I, I know. mean, are it's, you going to pull the low blow? It just seemed like a low blow. And then all of a sudden, Laurel picks up a, uh, you know, evil Laurel picks up a law book and is able to try to impeach Oliver. Like, look, I read, I read a law book, and now I know all this about that. Now I'm a lawyer. Because that's how that's the how law works. works. That is how the law works. But, but, oh, oh that, it's Daryl. Is that Daryl? 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 Well, my train didn't come yet, so I'm actually do it till my train comes. Oh. Oh. We're that just a, talking about. Time? I, can, I can hear your train. It's coming. <laughs> I but, hear uh, that train a coming. It's but like Laurel, Laurel like reads some of real Laurel's old law books, and all of a sudden, her and Diaz are making out. And, like, she's come up with a way for him to counter Oliver. And, like, they call for his impeachment because they say, you know, because they were, um, he tried to obstruct justice by firing them. I mean, come on, we've had some, like, really stupid, like, lawyer stuff on this episode, on this show, but. I well, know. I mean, that that comes from probably what, late one night, Guggenheim was probably high on something and was watching the news and and obstruction of justice and all that, and went, wait a minute. Um, first of all, th they're stupid because the reason he fired them will now come out publicly because he can say, uh, you were working for for Diaz. Right. And you as you're, much as admitted it. You're corrupt. They're, yeah. What's their thing? What's their thing? Oh, you're Green Arrow. Prove it. Nobody's proven it yet. So, so that's kind of a dumb card in the hand. But, but on top of all that... This is a city and a mayor, all right? With all the problems that this city has had and is having now, the where's the governor? Where's the state? The state would be stepping in with this kind of nonsense going, and not just the impeachment thing. I'm just talking about the, 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 the city being bribed for money, all of that. The, the state would step in, and especially once millions of dollars were gone and things like that, all, all Oliver would have to do is declare a state of an emergency, and the federal government would step in. So all right, stop, just... stop, stop. You've already thought about this more than the screenwriter had. Okay? Well, <laughs> that's I'm like, you... are we still talking about Green Lantern? Oh, my God. <laughs> See, it's Green Arrow. You blocked <laughs> it out. <laughs> in closing. 
I give yeah. In closing, I I agree with uh, Jerry's uh, affirmation there. It's a it's a dumb sandwich on dumb bread with a side of dumb, <laughs> served with a big glass of dumb. So I give it a D minus. This show is just I'm over it. I really I'm and you know I I I'm actually thinking about dropping it from the podcast. It is so oh, terrible. It's just like you get these motivations out of nowhere. This like shortcuts in logic that make no sense. Um, just people changing their minds on the turn of a dime. It just doesn't. It just really is frustrating. Cause no, I agree with you. Cause like you said, Rich, I, you know, last season yeah. it looked like they were trying to make some progress with like the whole team arrow thing. They brought in the new people, and I was like, okay, that's cool. That could be a good way for the show to go. And then they just squandered it all this season. They just have like gotten. They just took it all out and like made nothing out of it. You know, it just. Uh, but it organically went that way, Jim. <sighs> Not organic. <laughs> so I give it a D minus. I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really frustrated with this show, and I'm done. And I, give, I, I agree with Jerry. I'm done talking about it. <laughs> I, I would, I would agree to knocking this off of the coverage on the podcast. It's just this started it. It started everything. Mm-hmm. It started all of the CW. Um, DC Universe, all of that. I just, I have a hard time thinking that it's gone this bad. I mean, every television, almost every television show, has a bad season or a few bad episodes or just a what the hell were they thinking kind of moment. But Arrow had that with season four, and you thought they would have learned, but no, season six. And I, I give this episode just like I give the season an F. And that F stands for Fire Mark Guggenheim. I know. I mean, we see the. I mean, what do you what do you give it, Jerry? Other than a other than a puking noise, is that all you get? It. That's all I get. That's all it deserves. I can't believe you just made me say four words in its defense. I <laughs> rest okay. my case. Fair enough. Let's move on to Legends of Tomorrow. Possibly the goofiest episode of Legends of Tomorrow ever. And that's saying something. Yes. <laughs> but it was yeah. fun. It was it was, ama- it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Um first is that Daryl leaving again? Okay. Bye Daryl. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your cameo appearance. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we could afford is a cameo from Daryl this week. Um this episode was called uh Guest Starring John Noble, which is kinda hilarious considering uh, John Noble is the voice of John Malice. It's, like, it's such a meta moment in this episode because John, John Noble is the voice of Malice in, in the show, but they go back to get his voice to play it in Nora's ear so she thinks she's hearing the voice of Malice. Oh, my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you do this. You can do this. But it starts out with them trying to save Barack Obama from Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> I love that moment. That was great. Of course, my favorite part was when the Ray is like, "Run, Barry, run!" <laughs> um, so most of, some of the team is heading to 1979 to save Barack Obama uh, from Gorilla Grodd, who wants to kill him before he becomes a statesman. And the rest of the team is trying to stop Amaya from saving her village in 1992 Zambezi, because if the village gets saved, Malice is going to be able to escape. Because that's, that's Whoa. Is that you some... all right there, Jerry? You okay? Yep. Yeah. Okay. It was very loud. I thought you got hit by lightning or something. Um, 
Grodd uses the line, make America Grodd again. <laughs> uh, I know, a little on the nose, but very funny. Um, Grodd is about to choke young Barry, and then uh, the Wave Rider arrives, and Mick shoots Grodd with fire, and Ray shrinks Grodd enough to fit him in a jar. And then they wipe Barry's memory clean, and off to the overarching plot they go. Um, Nora's starting to feel the, um, uh, the arrival of Malice, but when Damien faces her, we see from her shadow that she's taking a new form. It's like big and with wings and stuff. And uh, Grodd's failure means that Malice's prison couldn't completely open. Damien is losing his daughter, who all of a sudden he cares about for some reason. And uh, he switches sides right. and shows up on the Wave Rider to plead for their help. Um, over in Zambezi, Nate and Wally are trying to appeal to Amaya. But Amaya is trying to present the genocide of her pe- prevent the genocide at all costs. Um, then, you know, the, uh, they, you know, they try to, they try to explain to her that, you know, that's the anachronism. Her saving her village is the anachronism that's going to cause so many more people to die. So, um, Damien is, is, uh, on board the ship. He offers the water totem as a, uh, as a gesture of good faith and then explains, uh, that they now have a common enemy, but Sarah's not so sure. And tells Mick to just kill Damien on the spot. But Ray, because of his thing for Nora, shuts the plan down and tells him they should think it over. Um, Sarah does. She talks to Ava. And um, she says it's the hardest thing to do to let the killer of her sister live. Good callback there about why she hates Damien so much. Yep. Uh, um, and then Sarah gathers her team and tells Dark that she'll help him under one condition. After it's all over, she'll kill him. <laughs> kind of a deal breaker for most people, but for Dark goes along with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ray comes up with an insane uh, plan to visit John Noble on the set of Lord of the Rings in New Zealand in 1999 <laughs> and have him record lines as malice that he, in his Adam suit, will put inside Nora's ear. Um, because they, they remark about how similar John Noble's voice is to Malice's. What a coincidence. <laughs> it's a dance. So awesome that that happened. That's pretty funny. Um, Ray shows up dressed as a PA to have him record his lines, and then he uh, Ray, John Noble bitches that the script is crap. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also Total. hilarious. And then Ray... Yeah, I love I love when Ray talks about the addition of the female character or whatever as to why the rewrite and everything and Noble's going on about that won't work. You can't just insert characters into, Thank into you. Lord of the Rings and all that. A direct hit against the whole thing with uh, what's-her-face's Liv- character. And, no, no. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, what's her name from Lost? Played Kate on Lost, the elven character in the Hobbit movies that Peter Jackson totally created just for the movies. That was that wasn't. She no, wasn't that, no, that was eventually that, Lily on Liv Lost. Tyler. Liv Tyler played the elf in, in Liv the movie. Tyler. Yeah, Arwen. Yeah, Arwen or Arwen? Yeah, Arwen. She was like a minor character in the book, and he made her a major character, so there'd be a female presence. Yeah, yeah. They look similar. They're both white girls, so I I can understand why you yeah. get, get confused. Okay. Well, no, Evangeline Lily's character in the Hobbit. Oh, in the Hobbit was not it. Yeah, it was oh. not in the book. Oh, we thought you meant Lord of the Rings, because Arwen was, no. was barely in the Lord of the Rings books, and then she's all over the movies. So. Right. No, I was talking about 
I, I thought that they were hinting more at the fact that Peter Jackson created a whole new character that, that didn't exist, period. It could be. So. Um, he play, uh, He starts to play it in her ear, but eventually she figures out it's a trick. And once she, but once she's on the wave rider, Damien traps her and strips her of her magic, at least for the time being. Um, when he speaks to her, he apologizes for failing her, for leaving her alone. But it's no use. Malice simply tells Damien that Nora is as good as dead. Uh, Damien then has an even tougher conversation with Sarah. He tells her he regrets everything he's done. He wishes he could take it all back. He even apologizes for killing Laurel. Because that back then he didn't know what love meant. So I, Derek, Damien Dark's really taking a turn here, so it seems, you know. Yeah, but are you buying it? No, not really. I, it's Damien Dark, so no. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of am a little bit, but every time I start to think, well, maybe they're taking a different turn with this character, then I'm like, nope. A scorpion is a scorpion. Doesn't matter, matter what. People change. Um, aboard the Wave Riders, Zari tells Sarah she can't find any loopholes and um, Amaya's village has to be destroyed. That's when um, Sarah comes up with another insane idea. She explains that the only way to, to beat Malice is to do it face-to-face, which means they have to let him out of the cage, which seems kind of crazy because that's what they've been fighting against this whole season, pretty much. Uh, Rip doesn't like that idea because the last time it happened, uh, Malice wasn't defeated. The Death Totem betrayed the rest of the Bearers. But the, as Sarah argues it hasn't, you know, fixing history taught them anything to learn from it. Um, but Sarah's intent on following it through. Damien says he'll weed the, will the Death Totem. Uh, Ava thinks it's a shitty plan and walks out, goes back to the Time Bureau. Uh, Sarah tries to follow her and tell her that she loves her. But Ava rejects her, her love, her crazy idea, and gets the hell out of there. Um, well, I mean, she did just learn that she is one of hundreds of clones, so, and that not only was she not, not Rip's first choice for the Bureau, but his 13th choice. <laughs> wow. Right. So I kind of get why she's acting the way she is, but on the other hand, Sarah was looking damn good just to walk away from that. Come on. Sarah's always looking good, man. I don't know if you saw the pictures. Yeah, Do you see the pictures of the cast on that cruise ship that they took at the end of the season? Yes. yes. Oh man. Um, when the hour comes to help the legends in their final step, they bring Nora to Zambezi. They wait for the you know easy to defeat the warlords and ensure Malice is released, but nothing happens. Sarah asks Rip to find out what happened. It turns out that Zambezi was destroyed, but not by warlords, but by Grodd, because Damien released Grodd. Because he thought that it might help save Nora after all. And keep Malice from taking her over completely. I don't understand the reasoning there. I don't I don't either because the original anachronism was that the village didn't get destroyed. Right. By whatever that militant group was. Well, having Grodd do it is still an anachronism. So you're still releasing... You know, I think it, I not... think it would even be a bigger anachronism that a giant right. gorilla killed him rather than another warlord. You know. Yep. Um, but anyway, it's uh, but it doesn't work out. Um, Nate uses the Earth Totem to save them from Grodd. Damien releases Nora, only to be literally stabbed in the back by Sarah. 
and lose the death totem mm-hmm. to Ray. And now that Nora's free, so is Malice. Um, the entire crew runs outside. They watch as Malice takes his true form with poor Nora ruined. And uh, that's where it ends. And then they're coming up on a season finale next next week. So, Yep. Malice, still better CGI than uh, Stubborn Justice Wolf. League. Yeah. Yep. I agree. <laughs> Doesn't take much. <laughs> Stubborn Wolf will go to the end boss from Soul Reaver. Anyway, this was goofy and great and the kind of, a lot of unexpected shit that I did not see coming. I did not expect Damien Dirk to switch sides or, right. you know, to see Grodd attacking young Barack Obama or any of <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And the whole um, thing with John Noble was hilarious. So I give this a B. This was this was a solid B for me. The show, you know, if you if you try not to hurt your brain trying to think about how much sense it doesn't make, it's so much more fun, you know, uh, than trying yep. to trying to like you know make it all make sense and everything. So I really enjoyed it. So I'll give it a B. Yeah, I I give it a B minus, but I mean, most of all, just a little bit of the flawed logic here and there with the whole thing of the anachronism around the the village, you know that that kind of threw things off a little bit. But for the most part, it was just good fun, and the more Neil Madonna plays this character, the more fun he seems he's having every single episode. Um, he's really I, making I this just, season for me. He really is. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. So yeah, B, uh, B minus. I'm gonna go B plus. I smiled a lot. That's a good thing, right? Right. <laughs> Smiling is good. B plus. Yeah, so that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard people say. No, it was it was pretty fun. But you're right, the anachronism with the villain. It was like like, do we have to do this severe with all this other goofy fun? But I guess we do. And and I just had a brainstorm. I mean. I'll give this to you guys, you know, TV folks for free, but you guys should have Grodd go back. Not you guys, but scripture awesome. guys should totally should totally have like um, Gorilla Grodd go back and free Harambe. I'm just saying that should happen because that's still that be fresh great. in everybody's hearts. Okay. The way the, the way this show has been going, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. I know, right? That, uh, it would fit right in with everything. I, all the other goofiness of this, I'd just be like, yep, okay, it I buy that. Would. Yeah, I was surprised with yeah. the whole Barack Obama thing. And not and, and then when it was just that little bit at the beginning, I was like, okay, that was cool. But then later you got Sarah, like, talking with him, being counseled by him. <laughs> oh, just, just so great. Yeah, that's insane. I smile. Smiling. It's like all the ideas that are too goofy for the other shows. They throw on legends. They're like, hey, let's do this. Let's I do that. make a case for how goofy the ideas on Arrow are. But they're not, but they're not goofy. fun goofy. <laughs> they're not intentionally. Right. <laughs> they're just, just, they're just dumb goofy, you know? Yes. Okay. All right. They, they, they do not praise in Bebo's name like Legends does. Yeah, no. There's a lesson to be learned there. Yeah. Make America grot again. Um, you ready to talk? Let's talk about Black Lightning real quick. All right. Uh, this show is just—I have this show has been rock solid all season long. I have not had a problem with this show yet. Um, this episode was no uh, um, exception. It was called Black Jesus: The Book of Crucifixion, 
And, you know, the only, the only thing I would say wrong with it is that it makes me miss the old show with Bl- uh, Black Jesus on Adult Swim with, uh, you know, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie Murphy. I, I really love that show. Rest that in, show needs to be back. Rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. That's <laughs> the world's biggest asshole landlord on this show. But anyway, um, last last episode of Black, Black Lightning, we found out that the Garfield High Vice Principal is the ASA's new talent scout. And uh, it didn't take her long to put an evil scheme together. She instructs Deputy Chief Kamen, who's the corrupt mustache guy at the top of the Freeland PD, to put green, to plant green light on Jefferson Pierce and arrest him. Little yeah, old. but she she immediately regrets it. You can just see the look on her face. She immediately regrets it. But I knew I had liked her from the start. Yeah, she she was definitely had had some kind of dark secret or whatever. We didn't know what it was. So now we know. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that they they have someone like that inside on the inside. Um, you know, considering yeah. the ASA's kind of plan with the green light and whatever, and you know. It's not like in in real life a cop would plant drugs on a black person, right? No, never, never. We that must... never happens. I don't know if you, if you saw it this week. Just as an aside, um, Chadwick Boseman was on Saturday Night Live, and uh, he played T'Challa on Black Jeopardy, and they, <laughs> and they asked him, you know, so and so does something, and the police want to know if you have any information, and he rings in. Of course, we must help the law officers come to their. <laughs> to bring people, <laughs> people to justice. <laughs> and Keenan Thompson's like, well, that's nice. That's the way it should be. <laughs> well, you haven't spent much time in America, have you, T'Challa? <laughs> it was pretty funny. Hmm. But um, they said... That's serious. Yeah. They, uh, they uh, discover it in Jefferson's car and they take him away in front of the students, but uh, the students at Garfield know what's up. They know it's a setup because they know Jefferson. They see white police dragging away one of their community leaders, and they're like, "Yeah, we know what what's up." But uh, Jefferson uh, spends his perp walk telling the students to stay calm and protect themselves, not telling them to freak out, especially his daughter. <laughs> kind of like emphasizes right? a little bit to her, um, but she knows, uh, you know, she she uh, you know keeps her powers in check. Inspector Henderson is kind of the hero of this episode. Uh, he could tell someone's fishy when Cayman and his crew bring Jefferson to police headquarters. Uh, Henderson demands to see the warrant, and they have a closed-door meeting to go over it, and neither of them believe their warrant is righteous for a second. So, but there's not a lot Henderson can do right now. Uh, he and Cayman exchange a few looks that clarify that they do not like each other at all. Um, <laughs> we see the cops make the best, uh, uh, do their best to make the arrest as humiliating as possible for Jefferson. You know, they're bumping him into walls, they're cuffing him tightly. You know, they give him a physical inspection in the most demeaning way possible. And, uh, you know, for people, you know, it's kind of, it's it's, cool. it's refreshing to see a superhero show, you know, kind of deal with this real shit, you know. Doesn't right. skirt around the idea, the idea of, like, police brutality, like, the reality of police brutality and just excessive... Like, not even excessive force, but just, like, making sure you smear this guy's name before he's even been brought to trial. And right. even, even more than that, the everydayness of it. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, you know, not like, oh, it's so shocking. It's just like, wow, this happened again? You know, the kind of, yeah. you know, the fact we've all become kind of numb and inured to it, it really, like, kind of hits home, too. 
Uh, Anissa and Gamby both want to get Jefferson out of jail, but Gamby knows that they go super-powered, that um, that'll just make things worse. So they have to figure out a way to make the ASA uh, figure out that, or think that Jefferson Pierce is not actually Black Lightning. Um, so with the help of a self-driving truck and some fancy new tech, he and Anissa create a hologram of Black Lightning. First, Thunder draws a bunch of attention by walking down the street. <laughs> Then with all the eyes on her, she breaks into a chase while holographic black lightning materializes beside her. Now everyone at Freeland says they saw black lightning while Jefferson Pierce is in prison. Um, the ASA cancels the planned trip to a black site and calls off their interest in Jefferson Pierce for now. And this gives Henderson the opening he needs. Um, the inspector has been looking into the corruption of his co-workers and finally... As Cayman's uh, sidekick, dead to rights for taking massive bribes. He figures out he bought his son a house, paid in cash. Um, Henderson gets him to admit to playing the evidence, and that gets uh, means Jefferson is free to go. And then uh, when Cayman protests, Henderson's true plan becomes apparent. He slams Cayman against a wall, using the same kind of force he likes to put on the poor people who end up in his custody. And that was mm-hmm. a satisfying scene. Uh, very karmic, and then Cayman's arrested, jailed, and stripped of his badge. Henderson becomes the new deputy chief of Freeland, and uh, promises an end to over policing and corruption. What's nice is there were other perps in the vicinity when he got slammed against that wall and arrested yeah. and stripped of his badge and gun. He was yeah. not going to have a very pleasant evening in jail. No, I don't think they they go uh, easy on crooked cops in the in prison very much. So. What? Yeah, can you believe it? So now, Shocking. so now our yeah. Black, how many other um, how many other disenfranchised Ameri- African Americans are in that jail that he put there? You know, yep. That he treated that way. He's a, he's going to get his comeuppance. Yeah, and uh, now Black Lightning has his own Commissioner Gordon. So that's pretty yep. cool. I'm glad to see that. Cause, yeah. I like the way they work together. It's, it's pretty pretty cool. Um, so I give this episode another A. This was really good. Um, I, I I know we we sound like a broken record, but like the with the writing on this being so good, I just don't understand why the writing could be so shitty on Arrow, and yet they both have like similar production schedules, similar budgets, you know. And this show is like streets ahead uh, of Arrow in every way, you know. So I give this lightning streaks. Lightning streaks. Yes. Yeah. The screech, screech ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's because they're actually having a writers' room and scripting this show, and not just following it organically. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a quote or something from Guggenheim? Is that why, why you keep saying that? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Any, I didn't know that. Any anytime he's been faced with fans bitching about his illicity crap and just the crap he writes in general or that he allows written that's what that's his comeback he says we follow it we let these things play out organically it's the writing is very organic there's nothing organic about scripting things to happen and then giving scripts to your actors and playing those things that are exactly that is the antithesis of organic. And if I've, you had like I have a compost. second city TV, yeah, and you just let them go and riff. That would be organic, right? <laughs> wow, I have a composting okay, pile out back, then that's organic too. I feel like he sparked <laughs> up 
he sparks up and he's like, what, what do you guys got this week? Yeah, that's organic. <laughs> he's like, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> that's organic, right? Yeah, he's, he's getting stoned organic style. But yeah, I mean, that's an herbal remedy. There you go. That's organic. Yeah, that makes sense. Organic. I think you've cracked the code, Jerry. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. I, I feel very accomplished as a detective. Thank you. Jerry's my hero. It's Shiro. Jerry's, Jerry's, Jerry. That's Jerry and Aries combined. I only do that for the month of April. You're welcome. That's the limited edition right there. <laughs> Hashtag Jerry's. Let's uh, let's move on to Gotham, which is getting really uh, heating up as well. It's pretty pretty awesome. Yes. I'm so loving this uh, Legion of Horribles. It's just so freaky and cool. I love it. It's just great. Yep. If they could start Write a sing-along blog... I'm sorry, what, Jerry? Blog, if they could start a sing-along blog, though, I'm just saying. A sing-along blog. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They could start one. Why? Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Uh. Uh. <laughs> I, just, I almost wish they'd call it the Legion of Doom, but I guess they stole that already on era, so... But Legion of Horribles fits him better because you got Jerome and Penguin and Scarecrow and Mr. Freeze. And in this episode, the Mad Hatter returns, Jarvis himself. Um, this episode is called A Dark Night Mandatory Brunch Meeting. <laughs> I didn't title it. That's what it's called. Uh, it starts... I didn't even catch the title this week. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. I did it. I, I giggled. Yeah, that was kind of awesome. I'm like, will there be uh, lady fingers or or a tea? I'm confused. Ex Benedict and mimosas. Yeah, mandatory. I want booze. Come on. Uh, start, this episode starts out with Bruce walking down the halls of Saint Ignatius, thinking Jerome is somewhere in the school. Uh, Bruce finds the school's grandmaster in his office, but the grandmaster reveals he hasn't seen Jerome, but he spoke with the Mad Hatter recently. And they're looking for a particular student that attended the school previously. The Grandmaster turns around to reveal that he's been rigged with an explosive chest and blows himself up because he's under the spell of the Mad Hatter. Um, Jerome has brunch with Penguin, Scarecrow, and Mr. Freeze. As I mentioned, the Legion of Horribles, he calls them. And Jerome mentions he's missing one piece of the puzzle to run in Gotham, and in walks the Mad Hatter with mimosas for everyone and bagels and, yes! and locks. Right? <laughs> uh, Gordon and Bullock arrive on the scene of the explosion at the school. Uh, Gordon threatens to charge Bruce with a crime for not following his instructions. Um, Jerome arrives at an office building looking for someone named Xander Wild, uh, the person they question the schoolmaster about. He's holding a group of officers. Does that. Does that name hold anything in, in DC lore? Because I didn't look it up, but I was thinking. And I meant to look it up. I was thinking that uh, that name is familiar for some reason, even though obviously it's a, a, a made-up name here. But I was just trying to think: was that name ever used in the comics for anything? I, I doesn't ring any bells with me. Okay. Um, if you get a chance, let me Bing search that for you. Yeah, use use Bing because that's what everyone uses <laughs> to look stuff up. Let me Bing search that for you. Who was that name again? <laughs> Xander Wild. <laughs> It sounds like the wor- right, worst eighties. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like a fictional eighties rocker from like a, a movie. You know, like <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Xander Wild. 
Rick Springfield maybe, maybe is Xander Wilde, you know. Maybe I'm thinking of Xander from Buffy and Zach Wilde from uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Or, Xander, or maybe Xander Berkeley from The Walking Dead who plays, uh, what's his face? Yeah. Gregory, yeah. Uh, Walking Dead TV podcast every week. We're coming up on the finale. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the person in question is schoolmaster about is Xander Wilde. He holds a group of a group of office workers hostage in a conference room, and then Gordon and Bullock enter to arrest him. But the Legion of Horribles helps Jerome escape. Um, Bullock and Gordon start looking into Xander Wilde. They find out that nobody in the office building has never met, has ever met him. They always communicate with him through proxy. Uh, meanwhile, Enigma is starting a game show called The Riddle Factory. <laughs> I love this <laughs> whole thing. This whole idea that Riddler has is just great. He says, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, he plays it to the hilt. He says if the contestant answers the riddles correctly, they'll win piles of cash. And the first contestant, Lars, doesn't get the riddles right and instead has to spin the Wheel of Misfortune. <laughs> what did he win? A sack full of rabid rats or something like that? Uh, I don't know, but a few of, uh, I don't remember, but a few of Nygma's men are about to haul Lars off to an untimely death when Lee walks in and tries to shut it down. But then she offers herself as a contestant. And if she wins, Riddler has to shut it down. Um. Yeah, not that it has anything to do with the plot or anything, but damn, she was looking good in this scene. She's Just all, throwing that out there. She's a very attractive young lady, absolutely. Yes, she is. I like, And I like Evil Lee better than, than Good Lee. Oh, yeah. It's, it's way higher. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, Jerome enters the apartment of the alleged proxy of Alexander Wilde. The proxy, however, quickly knocks Jerome out and takes the cell phone to call some takes her cell phone to call somebody to inform them that she has Jerome. This chick is one badass too. Let me just say she can take Every out Jerome with one. Right. Yeah, she can take out Jerome with one punch. Yeah, much, you know. Um, Butch is hanging out at the bar trying to be incognito when <laughs> Penguin comes by. And he tells, uh, you know, he tells Butch, hey, you know, Jerome has some big plans. You know, you should uh, come back to work for me as a bodyguard. But Butch gets upset and knocks Penguin to the ground and threatens to rip off his head if he ever sees him again. Considering the last time, you know, he uh, spoke to, you know, him and Enigma, you don't think he'd go after talking to him again, right? But there, there we go. Um, Gordon and Bullock find out Xander Wilde helped engineer some of Wayne's properties. So they go to talk to Bruce and Alfred. And then they realize that Xander has been staying off the grid to avoid Jerome. Uh, Jerome wakes up in a cement-walled cell. He's being watched through security cameras by a man in a dark room with a bunch of security monitors. And Jerome's camera is interrupted when a buzzer starts going off and a car can be seen approaching one of the cameras. It's Gordon and Bullock. We find out it's Xander's home, and Gordon and Bullock are greeted at the door by Wilde's proxy. Uh, she directs him to Xander's room. And when the mystery man turns around, it appears, dun-dun-dun, he is a twin of Jerome. Oh. What, what, what? Now, that never happens on TV. Evil twins? Love him, evil. What? What? <laughs> never heard of that before. Here's here, here, a couple of things here, and I'm probably way off, but when am I not? Um, I got thinking, I'm like, what if there's no twin at all? What if the whole thing, it's him in both roles, and somehow Tetch 
has implanted this into everybody else's head, into Jimmy and Judge and uh, Bullock and everybody else into their head. And there, it, there's actually a person there, but it's not him. Because there were so many clues that were just like the way his eyes would shift at certain points and the camera would just pick up on these funky angles. But then also he seemed to be dressed more like a Joker type than actually Jerome was with the yeah, purple and green and everything. So, I mean, I'm way off. I know I probably am, but there's something not right here. Something is just not right. Maybe there's only one. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. There's going to be some sort well, of... Well, I don't know that I can believe. I'm, I'm going to say I disagree just because Bullock it was very fastidious. And use the the um, tried and true method. Oh, oh, yeah. Har- like Harvey Bullock, as soon as he saw the Mad Hatter, he used his tried and true method of blocking all hypnotic suggestion by. Uh, <laughs> I mean, who could break through that? At that moment, I'm saying though, I I I don't know. I just think somehow something's been planted into their heads, but. It, because then when they take him back to the precinct and everybody's like, oh, oh my God, it's him. And then they're right. like, you know, and he's like, no, this is his twin brother and everything else. But remember, every single person in that precinct has been mind screwed by Tetch True. at one point or another. True. So I just I get this feeling that somehow this is all a ruse that's being done using hypnotic suggestion of some type. Guys in play, I mean, there's no doubt it's a possibility. I would love for him to actually have a twin, though. That's kind of awesome. And the twin is kind of the evil one. Like, yeah. he planted yeah. up, like, he made up the story that got his completely, you know, rational, but but obviously there, there was a sibling rivalry thing, you know, like, he got him committed. Right. <laughs> right. That's kind of awesome. I kind of hope that's true. Um, Xander re- reveals his real name is Jeremiah. He's Jerome's brother, and he thanks the detectives for solving his mother's murder. But he warns. See, that's another thing: is Jeremiah was a bullfrog. This guy looked nothing like a bullfrog. Uh huh. I see what you, I see what he did there. Um, <laughs> a good friend of mine, for a bullfrog. Yeah, I never understood a single word he said. Uh, the detectives warn Jeremiah that his brother is on his way to kill him. Jeremiah tries to convince him there's no way Jerome would know where he lives. But then Gordon notices the camera monitors in the back of the room, and he turns them on. He sees that Jeremiah has Jerome in a holding cell. Uh, Doc Thompson, meanwhile, is undergoing the Enigma's riddle contest. He tricks the Riddler and is correctly able to answer his first riddle. Um, The detectives are trying to convince Jeremiah to hand his brother over. When another alarm starts buzzing, they look down the security monitors, and they find the Legion of Horribles has stopped by. Um... Jeremiah explains he designed the facility as a maze that has 73 dead ends. Weird. Uh, they start on their way out, but they run into Proxy, into Jeremiah's Proxy, who's named Echo, who's been taken over by the Mad Hatter. And a fight breaks out between the group. Uh, Jeremiah splits off in an attempt to exit by himself. Uh, Gordon and Bullock knock out Echo, while Jeremiah runs into Jerome, Mad Hatter, and Scarecrow at the exit of his facility. Jerome tells his cronies to go kill Bord- Gordon and Bullock. Uh, Scarecrow and Mad Hatter find them, but Gordon and Bullock start shooting at them and they run away. Um, they lead Gordon and Bullock right to the exit, and a gunfight breaks out with Jerome, and he's able to distract the detectives long enough to get away. 
back at the Riddle Factory, Thompson's riddle to Enigma would make him say, I love you, which he refuses to do. And Tompkins is the first to beat the Riddler at his own game, and he shuts down his operation. Um, Penguin returns to Butch's bar and promises him that he can turn Butch back into his original body. Uh, Penguin says that Hugo Strange would be able to reverse the effects. Um, Gordon and Bullock return to the police station with Jeremiah and put him into protective custody. And Penguin takes Butch to Jerome's compound and the group as Butch as a member of the Legion of Horribles. Whoa. Where, where, where is Hugo Strange nowadays? I was trying to remember when we last saw him. I thought he was dead. That's what I was thinking, but I was like, wait a minute. I don't know. Because I remember they had him under protective custody, and then um, I thought uh, Fish Mooney kidnapped him, right? And then that whole, like, end of season thing. I thought he got killed in that, but maybe not. No one dies in the show. That's no true. One. That's they very true. It's very I, true. I can think of twice Penguin has died already. And come back. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. need to stay off of the docks. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But uh, I'm really loving Gotham. It's really, like, found its swing, you know? I really... It's found its groove, and I'm really digging what it's doing. So, I'll give this one an A. I love the idea of the Legion of Horribles. It's probably the best thing I've seen on that show. <laughs> so... Yeah, I have to agree. This was a... This whole season has been pretty damn good. And I just... I love Jerome, man. I love that, that actor. I love the character and how he's playing it. It's just... It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, Kim- it's taken Joker to a whole different depth than what we've had in the past. And he's been a pretty complex character over the last 75, 80 years. But I really love what they're doing with him in this. I have to give this an A+. I don't know how you guys missed this because it was obviously crucial and essential to the story. But Jerome's brother actually did a full Asana while he was in lockup. I mean, I mean, not Jerome, but Jerome actually did a full asana. Like, he full-on did yoga. It wasn't just, like, some random poses. He did an asana. He went from plank. He piked up to down dog. He lifted one foot for three-legged dog, then swung that foot in front to go to warrior one. That guy does yoga. Yoga. There's somebody who coached him. Yoga joker. Yes, there was... There, dude, it was a full-on asana. It wasn't, like faked or just some random poses he actually did yoga like you wouldn't notice that because you guys don't yoga so much but to throw that in there just like a heads up to all the people that you know know what they're doing with their bodies and their lives i like how you say we don't yoga (laughs) so much as in ever the only yoga i ever did ends in ert yogurt that's about it i know he's smarter than he's smarter than the average bear that's yogi (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry. I saw a meme the other day that said, I've never done yoga, but I've tried to bend over and pick up my keys once, so I'm pretty sure I'd hate yoga. <laughs> exactly. Seems legit. But Jerome, Jerome seriously did. Like, I rewound it and watched it again, and he's literally doing yoga. Wow. That's, it's not random. It's yeah, good, it was good really catch, good. man. Good so. catch. See? A plus. A plus. More yoga in season this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm still gonna just stick with an A because I don't care <laughs> but, about yoga. But I agree. Cameron Monaghan is killing it uh, in this role, and 
it's it's been amazing. Like since his resurrection, he's been playing it differently than he played it before his resurrection. And then as Jeremiah, yeah. he's playing it even differently again, or same, you know, a riff on the same character, yeah. but, but different in a different way. And it's just been amazing to see him do it. And then if you've ever seen him on Shameless. Totally oh, different, totally different amazing. character uh, in every way. So I mean, I give him all acting props, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just stunned, stunned by him. I really am. What a revelation! If you think about the, if you think about the dichotomy of any Joker ever doing yoga, like practicing a discipline, and he it was that was a discipline. That wasn't just like, hey, I'm a clown. Look at what what I can do. He was practicing a discipline that's supposed to help you find your center and your your zen. <laughs> And he's literally the Joker. Come on. I don't think there's anything Zen about the Joker or Jeremiah. No, but he did an awesome. That's what I'm saying. Like to throw that in there, just like randomly. That's that's pretty genius. That shows you the depth of his delusion. It also shows you the the way that I mean, Gotham is willing to take chances with these characters and show them in new ways. I mean, mean, the Penguin on this show is so different than the Penguins we've seen before. You know, Solomon Grundy on this show is way different than every other Solomon Gr- you know, incarnation we've seen. I mean, the Riddler, I mean, it's all, I mean, they have the essences of those characters, but they've let these actors really, like, take on different, you know, let them take on different lives of their own, and I really appreciate yep. that about it a lot. And now that it's kind of hit this, this like, crazy, like, Burton-esque kind of groove that it's in, I, I really am really digging the show. It seems like it's really coming to its own this last season and this season, for sure. Yeah. So let's move on to Krypton, our latest entry into the DC TV universe. Um, it's on the Siffy channel, in case you haven't checked it out yet. Uh, <laughs> I know not everybody. The Siffy? Yeah, I know not everybody gets the Siffy. Um, well, it used to be Sci-Fi, but then they changed their name to Siffy. Yeah, that's why. Oh. That's why. So I mean, that's, I you know I I'm gonna just go on record with you like. I kind of wanted to riot because you can't take license with an abbreviated term that's been established since like the fifties. Right. You can't just willy nilly add a Y to stuff and rebrand something that's been in the popular culture forever. Come on. It's just kind that of... whole rebranding, even though it's old news, I still to this day, I'm just like, that, that was like one of the dumbest, Branding and yes. PR marketing moves I've seen when it comes to television. I'm just like, it made zero sense, especially now. No. Like, like Jim, when he introduced it there, started it off with Siffy. Everybody calls it Siffy, and that is not what they. I mean, it backfired in their face big time. But what didn't backfire in their face, at least not yet through three episodes, is Krypton, because I'm enjoying it way more than I thought I would. Well, I was, Listen to that. He's a slickster, that, that shovel's hoe. Do you know how he brought it around? I see. What? Okay, go ahead. I almost got run over by that segue. Hey, now. Hey. But, um, yeah, I, 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 w- I came into this with a little bit of trepidation as it was David S. Goyer. And yeah. I was a little, you know, cautiously optimistic. But so far, as you mentioned, like in the, in the first three episodes, it's been tight. It's been really good. It's been very Game of Thronesy. if I had to really... Yes. You know, yeah. I'll compare it to yes. something. It's yes. really well, and I'll I'll tell you this too, Jim. <laughs> it is um, now I understand even more why uh, Jarrell and 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 his his uh, um, colleagues could not convince Kryptonian ruling council of any danger of anything going on. These people are the most close-minded. Just. I, 
It's crazy and, and, though. It, it, it's like they it, said Game of Thrones and but Star Trek and feudal Japan. <laughs> well, no, it's 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 like they're ruled by the Westboro Baptist Church or something. It's like they have one philosophy, and anything that goes against that philosophy is wrong, and you will die for thinking otherwise. Right. Well, it's also very much like I mean, I mean, look at pre-Renaissance England or pre-Renaissance Europe. You know, I mean, the you know, the science is fine yeah. for like you know map making. And for curatives and you know things like that, but when it came to you know other sciences, they were illegal. You know, like look, I mean, Copernicus being per- and Galileo being persecuted for saying the Earth went around the sun or whatever. And that's always something right. something that bothered me is like, why would such an advanced technology, you know, uh, society not have space exploration? You know, not you know what I mean. And this kind of fills in right. those blanks it's, and explains it. it you know. Um, we started this episode. The the pilot, even for the pilot, it starts out really strong. You got the guy who played uh, Barrister Selby, or, or from uh, um, I'm sorry, Bar- Barrister Selby from uh, from Game of Thrones plays Segel. Segel is Superman's grandfather, and in the very first in the pilot, he's a kid and he's watching his his grandfather be executed for crimes against the government, basically for science, for practicing the wrong kind of science. And the guy who sends him out is named Daron Vex. And they send him out on basically walking the plank outside the force field of Kandor. And then he falls, you know, into, um, you know, the, the wastes outside these giant dome cities they live in. Um, when we uh, flash forward, you know, about you know, 20 years or so, we see Seg fighting, had a bar fight. And basically all the patrons have bet to see how long he would last against these uh, Sagittarii, who are like the warrior caste. And he comes home uh, after being out all night, earning garbage money during fights. Uh, we also see Alora Zod uh, instructing a, a uh, who's another main character. You know, Zod, obviously a name we're familiar with from Superman lore. Um, she's instructing a group of cadets. Her daughter Lyda Zod is fighting against her, and then Lyda yields, and Alora stabs her through the hand to prove that you know, you know the Sagittarius never yield. No matter what, um, Seg goes to see his dad. His dad is now like the um, uh, servant to Darren Vex, the guy who killed his grandfather, who ordered his grandfather's death, and um, he saves the group. Well, because they're now all rankless; they right. have no house or anything. So, right. yeah, there's a really intense caste system on Krypton. They were cast right. out. Um, he uh, is able to save Daron from a bomb. There's a, a terrorist with a bomb, and then uh, in gratitude, Daron offers Seg a rank in his house, the House of Vex, by marrying his daughter, by marrying into the house, even though he's castless. And he acts like it's a big deal, but of course Seg has a hate heart on for for Daron for killing his grandfather and taking away his family's name. That's called right. the hate on. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <clears throat> um, a stranger shows up to Seg, in uh, the city streets, and he gives him a crystal with the House of El emblem on it, and he says that he has to save, find the fortress, and save Superman and save the future. Seg doesn't know what's going on, and he shows at all. No, well, I mean, this guy like disappears on him pretty much. Well, you um, know, what it's funny too is right when this scene happened, like right before it did, you just see um, Adam Strange. You see him like walking through the crowd. And I didn't know that was him yet. None of us really did. But I was just sitting there. I was like, how did Krypton 
shoe stores suddenly are they able to carry Chucks? Because he's wearing Chucks. And, and, and the Detroit Tigers cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that was the very next thing I caught was, wait, why has he got a Detroit cap? And then when it, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But, yeah, at first I was just thinking, yeah, all right, cool. Converse on Krypton. <laughs> or, or either that. I mean, I thought, wow, there's a continuity mess up. Who, who the hell would, you know. Who the hell's in charge of continuity here to let somebody on the set wearing a Detroit Tigers cap? But it turns right. out it's and that. they stopped the frame and they said Converse, the official sponsor of Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. When you want to slam it in the house, in the house of L. Right? <laughs> right. Converse. <laughs> but uh, Adam Strange has come from the future to pass on this crystal to Zeg. Um, Zeg shows it to his parents, and they're kind of hiding something from him, um, but they won't tell him what it is. Um, he, Zeg then ends up going to his new position in the Genesis Chamber with Nissa Vex, who he's supposed to be married to, and they show what their future offspring will look like. Um, Zeg then returns home to, uh, his girlfriend, who happens to be Light Azad, and then, uh, they realize that, you know, they're not going to be able to see each other anymore because he's going to get, about to get married to this other woman so he can get, like, you know, ranked again. Um, he ends up, uh, getting, he, he gets stopped on the way back by the armed forces of the Sagittarii we saw earlier. They, they begin searching him, and they find the crystal that Adam Strange gave him, and they ask him what it is, but Seg grabs it back and starts to run, and then runs into a spaceship, it happened, and behind the wheel is his mom. And she tells him to get in the vessel, and they fly away. And then uh, he says, she says it's time he knows the truth. Um, she takes him to uh, the Fortress of Solitude, her grandfather, his grandfather's Fortress of Solitude. It's a family secret. That's where he was able to do his scientific experiments without being watched by the council in the face of Rao and all that. Um, she explains to him that um, Val must have found some form of life out in the universe. And that was his main study. He was trying to study life outside of Krypton. And that's the real reason he was executed. And while... Now, and that brings up a question that I have, too, is, you know, part of his whole thing is we're not alone in this universe and, you know, there's life beyond Krypton and, and all that kind of thing. And that's what he was seen, you know, as being blasphemous about. But yet... I don't know if it was this episode or the next one, but they mentioned Daxamites, which is a uh, settlement for, you know, a colonization from Krypton at one point. So for them to not believe of other life out there in the universe to actually go out and be doing doing that, it's like what you said earlier. How can somebody, how can a civilization so advanced not want to explore other worlds and see what if there's other life out there. So it it kind of throws me off a little bit, but it just goes back to the backwards thinking of right. of the the many voices of Rao and all the disciples and whatnot. Yeah, we see a we see a repeating character called the voice of Rao wearing a three faced uh, mask. We never see the person underneath. Um, play comes into play in later episodes. Um, I wonder if if he's Brainiac. That's what I was thinking too. It seems like that's what they're going on, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with it's what very ha- Game of Thrones, the many faced God. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, what happens later too makes me even think it more uh, in one of the later episodes. Um, yeah, I know. Cher- um, his mom goes on uh, for a trial, and she says she she claims to be part of Black Zero, and that no one was helping her. But they said they had to buy a scan for two people that night, so to protect his son, 
Seg's father steps forward, tries to act like, act like he's going to shoot Darren Vex, but Alora shoots both of Seg's parents right in front of him. And of course, Alora is the mom of, of his girlfriend, Lyda, um, who go, tries to comfort him, but Seg isn't having it. He goes to Kim's water hole, and he's, he tells Kim he needs a spacecraft, and he goes back to the Fortress of Solitude, and Adam Strange meets him there, and Strange so Seg, his grandson's cape, and the cape is like withering away. And Strange says, once the cape is gone, they're out of time. That means the, you know, the timeline has been wiped out. There is no Superman. And he warns Seg about the Collector of Worlds, also called Brainiac. And we get this really cool, slow scene of the inside of Brainiac's uh, ship and all the different, you know, uh, mechanisms and uh, civilizations he has like bottled up in there. And we get like one big reveal shot of, of Brainiac, which is pretty great. Um, that, I mean, no offense to Supergirl, but that's the way Brainiac should look. Yes. I, I was just about to say is, um, they need to exchange tips with the makeup artists on Supergirl so that, uh, I mean, I know Brainiac 5 is different than this Brainiac, but still. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to be a kinder, gentler Brainiac. He looks like the great gazoo in Supergirl. <laughs> you prayed a you played Bebo. Well, as, as, as one should. Well, Greg Kazoo right. was Greg okay. Kazoo was green. Um, to be fair. Yeah. And, well, uh, still. Deal with your deal with your cutesy little Brainiac vibe, okay? He kind of looks like it. Stephen Wright, but painted blue in Supergirl. <laughs> He's got a really high forehead. Um, uh, you know, I expect him to do observational yeah. comedy, and you know. I put my car key into my house accidentally and it started up and rode away. You know, that kind of thing. Um, the second episode was called House of L and it starts right after the week's episode before. Seg is trying to question Adam Strange on whether or not this is real. You know, that you know, Kal-El is real. And Strange tries to convince Seg that Kal-El sent Strange in his place using a Zeta Beam to cross light years in time. Um, Seg's still not understanding Strange's mission and he storms away. And Seg tells Strange to go back to his home planet but asked for a ride to Candor. And uh, when Seg's walking through the city's alleyway, alleyways, he's stopped by Candorian police. They take him to speak with Nyssa, who tells him they're going to see his father. Uh, Seg and Nyssa arrive in, in Darren's chambers, and Darren begins lecturing them on Rao's past and how he became the only god Kryptonians worshipped. And this is a cool bit of backstory, explaining you know the, the theocracy that's kind of strung up, sprung up in this society that seems so technologically advanced. Um... Darren tells Seg that his induction ceremony into the House of Vex is the next night and tells him not to be late. Um, <laughs> then uh, Lyda walks into her, and we follow Lyda. She walks into her company's headquarters. They're getting ready to take on Black Zero. Um, Lyda tries to tell Devem to you know stop the mission, but he doesn't budge. And then uh, Lyda tries to go to Seg to speak to him about the passing of his parents, and she tries to be encouraging. Um... Seg then goes to speak with Darren about giving his parents a traditional funeral, but Darren disagrees. Uh, Darren goes on to speak about Valel's mission, and Seg tries to persuade Darren to let him continue his grandfather's work in the Science Guild. And that kind of goes over like a lead balloon. Um, Strange is trying to get some drinks at Kem's watering hole, and Seg shows up. Kem pulls him aside, and he's like, is this strange guy telling the truth or whatever? But Seg convinces Kem that he's the real deal, and they talk to him. Um, 
Seg reveals that Darren is going to let him join the Science Guild in the, as long as he becomes House of Vec. Lydon goes back to her division headquarters and challenges uh, Quex-L to a duel for control of the division. Um, Dev-M tries to convince her otherwise. Um, Jaina you know, expresses disagreement with her daughter's decision, but ultimately respects what Lydon is willing to do. Um, Strange hasn't been able to find any evidence of Brainiac within the two-hour deadline that Seg gave him, so Seg goes off on a mission to find more information himself. Um, Nyssa, uh, the one he's betrothed to or whatever, tracks down Seg and gives him his parents' ashes, and Seg goes to take the ashes back to his parents' house, but the house has been trashed. Um, at Kem's bar, Kem notices an anomaly with the tablet and points it out to Strange, and they agree they should go find a spaceship and check it out. Um, Lyda and Quexel gathered for the duel and they fight, and Lyda takes out Quexel, um, and therefore takes control of the company. Um, Seg returns to the fortress, he notices some glyphs on a stand in the middle of the room, and he puts his blood, he figures out if he puts his blood in there, it will power on, as kind of like a password, you know, it's genetics, and, uh, the screen turns on and it's a projection of Val-El. Much like the projection of Jor-El in the original Superman movie, which I thought was really cool. Very cool. Very, nice, very cool. Nice throwback. To I this. love everything about how they've done the uh, Fortress of Solitude. I mean, you got the big statues and all of that. I mean, it's just, it's very well done. I'm very impressed with how they've done the Fortress. Um, Val-El explains he discovers a dimension outside of space-time he calls the Phantom Zone. And then uh, Seg tells Val-El that he's going to finish what he started. Uh, he goes to confront Darren Vex about joining his house, and he tells Darren he'd rather die than join the House of Vex. But the house, the voice of Rao, the three-faced uh, guy that we talked about before, appears in the chamber and takes the side of Seg and allows Seg to be a ranked member in the Science Guild as Seg-El. Which... Very cool. Very interesting. Yeah, interesting turn of events. Especially, this is what I said, if it's Brainiac, maybe there's a certain amount of events that have to take place for Brainiac to prevail. You know what I mean? Um, so maybe right. Yes, he's always got the long game. Exactly, always playing the long game. Good point, Jerry. Um, Kem and Strange are stuck in a winter storm, and they research, They find the anomaly they notice on the tablet. They find skid marks on the planet's surface, and they found a crashed space vessel. Um, Darren is mad and venting to his daughter Nyssa because of the voice of Rao's decision, but Nyssa reminds her father to be patient because Seg trusts her now, and they definitely have ulterior motives with Seg, obviously, from the way they talk. And Nyssa's kind of in his good grace, or Seg's good graces for giving him the ashes and stuff. Um, Jaina makes light of the uh, fourth squadron, uh, the commander of the fourth squadron of the Sagittarii, and Kevin Strange return with the head of one of Brainiac's forward scouts. And then Strange explains that Brainiac sends scouts out first to explore planets. Uh, since they found the scout's head, Strange comes to the conclusion that Brainiac's already on Krypton somewhere. So, again, another strong episode. Dun, dun, dun. And I really like, you know, it's not, it, it's taking parts from the, the Superman mythos, but it's not leaning into it really, really hard. You know what I mean? Right. It's, kind of, it's definitely it's, its own story, you know. It's taking just what it needs to give us that familiarity of of Superman-ish, and then just enough to where it allows this story to blossom. But like you 
said, then it's all its own thing. And I'm very impressed. I mean, we still have one more episode to talk about, but I am so impressed with how well the show has done these first three episodes because I really thought this was not going to be good. I really didn't expect to like this show. And three episodes in, and I'm very much on board. Yeah, definitely. Were you surprised too, Jerry, about how good it was? Or? Um, I actually, I've been doing this quite a bit in my regular life. I walk into properties with no preconceived notions. I just hmm. decide to, to, to be an objective <coughs> observer. And it turns out this was really shockingly good, but I hadn't went in thinking this could be really bad. So it was good. Yeah, I was more. But no, I didn't think it was going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I, it's interesting. I wasn't really concerned about the franchise more than I was concerned about the people behind it. You know, I mean, usually David. Okay. I mean, because when I see David S. Goyer on something, I mean, granted, he he did co-write some really great things, but usually when he's working on his own, it's not usually something that's any good. I mean, I turned to yeah. the Maybe other. He's got enough to delegate. Maybe he's got smart enough to get the right people with him. Well, and a, tel- a lot of the stuff he's missed on have been more film properties and things like that. Oh, okay. You know, when it comes to a television show, there are so many. It's a completely different type of production. There's so many other wheels that are turning and things that are in place to where, you know, maybe there's enough of a check and a balance on him to where he doesn't go off the wall on things. Because I like Goyer. Um, he's very hit or miss on things as far as I'm concerned, but when he does right. hit, he hits hard and it's, yeah. it's and it's well done. So I, I think they borrowed just enough from like the Man of Steel version of Superman that like yeah. it, it mm-hmm. can tie into that, but also they're borrowing from classic DC by you know, Adam Strange and you know, all this other stuff. So I think in Black Zero, like a lot of the, the um like I said, I read the World of Krypton trade not too long ago to get ready for this. And they really have like lean, um, grabbed a lot of good lore from there, um, and they you know, it would easily sit in there. Um, this episode kind of has a parallel, two parallel stories going on at the same time. Um, Seg and Adam go out to the fortress and they show Valel what they found in the Outlands. Uh, Val analyzes it and find it finds out it is indeed a probe from Brainiac, and it contains a parasite that inhabits a host body. It's going to learn everything it can about the planet and then transmit data to Brainiac telling him whether it's cool to come or not. To, to And uh, the sentry in this probe has already been out. It's already been released uh, to a mother of, of, a, of, a, of a young girl who works out in Salvage in the Outlands. And she's the one who discovered Brainiac's probe and she takes the sentry device from it. Uh, the other story has to deal with uh, Black Zero. Um... The voice of Rao stresses to Darren that his rankless initiative needs to wipe out the terrorist group Black Zero and their leader Jax Ur. Again, another uh, you know name from uh, Superman mythos. Uh, mostly, I mean, from the animated series, Jax Ur was in there. He was uh, him and his uh, yeah. lieutenant uh, came to Earth in the Superman animated series. Um, Jane Zod ex- explains the plan. Uh, Light is trying to suggest a different plan, but is chided for it. And then, um, you know, doubt, she kind of kind of expresses her doubts over killing that person to get her job last episode to Dev. But Dev M is telling her, you know, that's natural for her to feel that, but she can't let her squad see that. Right. She can't let her squad see that at all. 
ready to jump again. I, I really like the dynamic between the Zods, the mother and the daughter, and um, I don't know. It's just when whenever you you think about the military guild and all of that stuff uh, from you know things that you read like back in the eighties and early nineties and DC comics and whatnot. It just it just it fits so well, and you can tell. I mean, her mother. I, I guess that I get maybe because the, the way the the children are born there, you know, using the matrix and all of that stuff. Maybe there's just not as a, quite the connection to a child as like we have as humans. But you can see, like you can tell, she's worried when she's fighting for command. You can tell that she's proud when she wins that command, um, yeah. and things like that. But. I also love that she's not afraid to be her own person, uh, like w- the way she leads her squad amongst the rankless in this episode. Right. So I, I, I'm very impressed with how they've portrayed the Zod family so far. Well, she even tells Seg in this episode that one of the reasons she did that was so that she could be more like humane. You know what I mean? Not not as as heartless when it comes to the rankless and stuff. You know, to do, right. do a better to that do a better noble job. Cause- Right, that noble cause to where you want to go in and change things from the inside. Isn't that what, like, all the baby boomer or hippies or whatever supposedly tried to do? I don't know, man. Go in and change things from the inside. And they all sold out, man. They all sold out. (laughs) (laughs) Where were we? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um... They're they're moving through the they're moving through sector nineteen. They plan the Sagittari plan to scan and process every episode, every person there, and Seg and Lyda kind of stare each other down. Uh, Seg sends Adam to the fortress with the Sentry while he goes to talk to Lyda, and they square off about what's happening. She tells him it was going to happen with or without her, and she's trying to make it better than it would have been. Um, while Val is scanning the Sentry, Adam shows him his Zeta beam projector and asks for help because it's not working anymore. It means he's stuck on Krypton. Um, but Val discovers the sentry has already infected someone, and uh, Kem finds Rome and Ona during the initiative, but Rom is the one infected with the sentry, and begins to transform and tears into some of the Sagittarii, and then just walks off, and Seg goes to help. Um, Cole Da, uh, 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 one of the Sagittarii tries to choke answers out of one of the rankless, and when another one steps out of line to protest, she shoots him dead, even though he was unarmed and shackled. And things get very heated, but Lyda arrives, arrives and calms things down and has Cole arrested. So I'm sure that's going to come to bite her in the ass at some point. Um, oh, yeah. Seg looks for Rom. Adam's but it does whip up the, the rankless to kind of get behind her a little bit and maybe not be as afraid of of the military guild <laughs> as because they aren't all just heartless killers. Um, maybe, I don't know. Seg asks Lyda to trust him and give him an ESP grenade to take out electronics. Um, if they, you know, when they find the, the, the Rom has been taken over by the Brainiac, um, sem, um, you know, um, probe. Parasite. Uh, right, yep. parasite. Thank you. Uh, she agrees, mm-hmm. but she has to disobey a direct order to do it. So I'm, I'm sure that's going to come back too. Uh, Seg goes in, but Rom is fully corrupted by Brainiac and attacks Seg. However, to get through to her, he gets through to her by mentioning Ona. Her kid, and uh, that's not enough. But it's enough for him to recover the ESP he dropped. He sets it off and takes down Rom along with all the electronics in the hub. Um, the Sagittari breach the hub but don't find anyone because Seg gets Rom out and Lyda sees her. Um, Seg tells Lyda a bit of what happened. 
that there's life in the universe and it's coming to destroy them. Sounds like it's coming to destroy them. Yeah, it, it's coming to destroy them via puppet. Let loose the dogs of war. <laughs> um, he and, yes, and Adam, I will cry havoc. He and Adam take Rom back to the fortress. Val checks her out and thinks what Brainiac did is, is what's keeping Rom alive and reversing it could kill her. But he also tells him he thinks she was an actual transmitter and the signal has already been sent to Brainiac. And then at the end of the episode, we cut to the giant skull ship, which I thought was so cool. And Brainiac said, it says, awesome. Krypton, your world is in an end. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. I think another thing I appreciate about this, it's only 10 episodes, so they're not wasting any time here, you know? They're getting, right. Right, they're getting right to it. There's no wheel spinning going on here. Oh, I didn't know that, so we're only getting a 10-episode season? Yes, yes. Yeah. Is that is that the plan for each season? Or I don't know. They've only announced the 10 episodes so far. So. Well, good, because uh, that's one thing that's nice about the 10-episode seasons on these different shows is they don't have time to fart around with stupid episodes that are nothing but a filler. And right. This, I, like I said before, man, three episodes in, I'm I'm all on board. Um, I'm really, really enjoying just the 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 rich details that they're adding to the crypto Krypton canon, and you know, and again, even though you have Superman kind of at the heart of this at, to a point, you know, it doesn't matter. Although I do kind of dig the whole uh, Marty McFly disappearing in the Polaroid thing that they're doing with <laughs> Superman's cape, you know, as it's slowly dripping away yeah. as as time changes. So that that's kind of cool too. So well, I, a, I don't know. It's just it's a good visual. Yeah. You know, it's a good visual representation yeah. of what they're trying to deal with or whatever. Yep. Uh, I just want to congratulate uh, uh, Daryl Taylor. Uh, for getting to meet Black Lightning while we're on break. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you guys picture taken with Cress Williams. Also, listener John Davis got his picture taken with Katie Lotz. And uh, I'm, I'm told she's just as lovely in real life as on as on television. Uh, so good for him. Um, also, while we were gone, Willa Holland has left Arrow. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. That's all I'm going to be saying about that. <laughs> Uh, we I, saw, I never yeah. had, I never had, because there was a lot of negativity about her, you know, leaving and saying, you know, good, I didn't like her anyway, but I never really had a problem with Thea. I mean, no. early, early on in the series, I did, I was, I felt like she was kind of, you know, just there, but as time went on and she became, you know, the yeah. speedy arrow and all of that stuff, I, I dug her character. Well, I, I, thought, I never had the problem with it. I just thought after a while they didn't really know what to do with her. You know what I mean? She was just kind of around, and then she wasn't around, and then she was around again, you know? And then uh, it seems like after John Barrowman's character died, they really didn't know, have any place for her, you know? Like, that made sense, so... um, Well, apparently she's been been asking to be written off the show for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. That's why they did the whole coma thing, because she just didn't really want to to do certain things. I, I don't know the whole story, just what I've read. Uh, but apparently, you know, that's why at one point they were thinking, Oh, we're just going to, you know, should we in the coma and we'll just leave it like that. But then they decided with her contract ending this season that they would go ahead and write her a very nice way out of the show. 
And I think it's cool. I actually would kind of like to see the spinoff of her and Talia Ghul and and uh, what's his face going off looking for these other three Lazarus pits. You know, make it its own little show. That might be fun. Yeah, I would. I, I, any more any, uh, John Barrowman? More John Barrowman is fine with me because I thought he was great. You know, even though you know it was it did get kind of weird. Huff and he kept uh, breaking into the Arrow Cave. <laughs> but you know, um, I think they gave him his own key and just forgot. I think so too. Uh, also, while we were uh, we were on our break and we had our uh, lost episode, we found out that the Flash movie isn't going to be called Flashpoint now. So maybe they're going to be moving away from that storyline. Uh, so. I hope so too, because it's a little early to be um, rebooting that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, all of our CW shows have been renewed for a new season. Supergirl, Legends, Flash, Arrow, um, all coming back next season. Uh, so that's And I believe Gotham got renewed too, didn't it? I think Gotham has been renewed in the time, time as well. Uh, we also found out we're going to be getting a two-part animated version of Death of Superman. Ooh. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we, there's a, uh, a, a, a on, on YouTube and on the, uh, the DVD and digital versions of uh, the, the latest Suicide Squad animated, um, we got a little sneak preview of uh, the, the, the first part's going to be called Death of Superman, and the second part's going to be called The Reign of the Superman. Uh, it's going to be done in the new, um, you know, the animated style. And, I mean, they did Superman yeah. Doomsday as their very first thing or whatever, but, like, it really truncated the story in a major way. And didn't really, I didn't think, didn't think it really gave it the um, the story its due. It just kind of like tried to shove it all into one thing. Right. And, and uh, I'm trying to go. So Gotham has not been renewed yet. It, but it's all. There's lots of articles from this past week saying that. Um, all signs point to it's getting a season five. So, well, and cool. I don't see why it would. Um, but the animated cast, the cast for this new Bad Death of Superman thing is pretty cool. You got Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern again, uh, Rosario yeah. Dawson as Wonder Woman, uh, Rain Wilson as <laughs> Lex Luthor, and uh, Jerry O'Connell and his real life wife Rebecca Romaine as Superman and Lois Lane, and uh, Shamar Moore as uh, Cyborg. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> So, you know, some for the, some for the ladies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and some right? of the men. And some of the men. You know, I want to tell you, yeah. he's, he's a good-looking guy. Sure. Um, but, he yeah, it'll, it'll be coming out before the end of the year. Uh, it's coming out this year, so that'll be great. Uh, I I don't know, like, that last Suicide Squad animated was great. I really liked it a lot. I thought, you know, it went for this kind of grindhouse aesthetic, and it totally nailed it. Yeah. I thought it was really, uh, really well done. Uh, Christian Slater played Deadshot in that, and I did not realize that until after I watched the movie. Um, so I know Donnie Salvo will be happy to see it. Because <laughs> he loves, he loves him some Christian Slater. But I mean, they also had Vanessa Williams in the cast, and um, uh, Kristen Bauer, and uh, you know, Tara Strong, a lot of really good voices. Greg Grunberg was in it. C. Thomas Howell. Whoa. Hey, C. Thomas Howell fan there. Yeah, she's not at C. Thomas. If you could go light uh, on the oh, sorry, I almost said again. But he played Zoom in it, and in a weird and I don't want to spoil anything, but in a weird way, it's almost like a sequel to Flashpoint in some ways. Um, I won't I won't spoil how it is, but if you watch it, you'll know what I mean. 
So, but, uh, okay, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, if you want to check out Chuptoe and I, we're also on the Walking Dead TV podcast, and we have the season finale coming up. Is it this week or next week? This week? No, next week. Uh, for The Walking Dead. Next week. Yeah, next week. And then Fear of the Walking Dead pops right into place after that, so there'll be that for us to cover. Um, you can also uh, check out a whole bunch of other great podcasts on com, including It's All Connected. And uh, we also have Dos Vidania now, the uh, podcast covering the Americans that uh, Russ and uh, Aaron and I... Yeah, the Americans. Great show, right? <laughs> Russian is that a Russian wolfhound? Uh, anyway, yeah, um, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, with that going on, and uh, you can follow me at Yoni Jones, and you can follow uh, Richard at uh, Chubtoad01 on the Twitters, and follow Jerry at Sister Throat at Sis Throat Punch. Right? Is that right? Uh, yes, that's Punch. that is my that that's my tweets tweeter tweeter. Yes, and that's also my Insta ham at oh, Sis Throat Punch. So if you need to twat, like to if, you need, instantly. if you need right. to send a ham or if you, or if you need to twat, then you, you, you right. that's where you go. <laughs> yeah, or if you need a ham while you twat. <laughs> it's just... ham. <laughs> so until next week, uh, we have an, another full deck of, uh, of DC TV to talk about weird ghosts. Good night. Thanks, guys. Good night.